Today on Podcast by the Bay. Measure P, passing Measure P will give us a certainty of our city being secured by protecting the safety of our people and by preserving the property value of our city. A showcase of Foster City residents speaking on their perspective of the measure regarding the levy bond here in Foster City. This week I was at a at a business roundtable event and I talked I, I saw their presentation on the levy there and I started thinking well this this makes a lot more sense and and it's something that needs to happen in in the city. You know, I'm a renter. I might not be here by the time this is done. All on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at HighwaySoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.Liberty-RealtyInvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. And now, another Podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And welcome to another rendition of Podcast by the Bay. We thank you for being with us, and we thank you for downloading the show. And so today, Patrick, and all you listeners out there, we actually have a very special show. And this show is what Podcast by the Bay is about. And what we're going to do today is we are going to let the listeners and the residents of Foster City really speak on our platform on Podcast by the Bay and really give their objective. And we're going to talk about the levy. We're going to talk about Measure P here in Foster City. And we're going to talk about this by interviewing the residents. And we actually have a number of residents. We have Sam Hindi. We have Bob Cushman. We have Gary Pollard. And we also have Evan Adams. And we also have Amit Saini. So these are all Residents of Foster City speaking about the levy and really speaking about their perspective. So, Patrick, we are excited. And so, Patrick, you got to meet with some of the residents. How did you feel about it? What is your perspective? Okay, why don't we just kind of regress a little bit, and I'm kind of regressing. One of my first interviews on the levy uh, was Bob Cushman. And I had an honor to kind of wrap up, and we're, we're on and are trying to kind of wrap up and also bring some new perspective here um, to the thing. Uh, Andre's got a couple new people that are going to be speaking to the levy, which is Proposition P. And I had an opportunity to kind of follow up with Bob Cushman. Bob Cushman uh, represents responsible Foster City people, and he thinks he represents around 3,000. So to our audience, this is just a primary Uh, This is just to get candidates to the general election and get that proposition. We're looking to see if Proposition P will pass. And under Prop Prop 13, you need two-thirds votes. One of the ideas that came up with Bob Cushman 
uh, which has been the buzzword is cooperation with surrounding cities. As you know, if we build up the levee in which we are going to build it up, it, it in, in counterbalance, Redwood Shores might need it. San Mateo might need it. Because when we build up the levee, it's also going to put pressure under surrounding cities. So Bob Cushman's in support of the levy, not necessarily in support of Proposition P because he wants to see it uh, negotiated. And for the viewers out there, so we understand the city is also working in an override. It's not unusual in a bond situation that if we said it's $90 million, it may be $120 million by the time inflation and the difficulty it is to get contractors to work it. Currently, the propaganda or the material that's out there um, in, is that Kevin Miller showed a letter that FEMA sent uh, to the city and saying we're in compliance and that we're following our good due diligence and trying to get the levy. Yeah, go ahead, Andre. You had a question. So, Patrick, I, I, what is your perspective on the levy? I mean, I have a perspective, and I'm going to ask you yours. But I, I, I'm going to say this, and this is somebody that I, I, I think – just in my opinion, I think we can all agree there's a need for the levy, right? There's, there's just a need. I mean, we don't want to end up like Houston, right? We don't want to end up like New Orleans when uh, there was catastrophes. And, but my perspective is a little bit even more, you know, as somebody who's been a renter, and I spoke with Evan Adams about that, and he's going to bring a wonderful renter perspective, and he actually provided a lot of, uh, you know, information and really gave us some good insight about it. But one of the things about this levy is insurance, right? And so this is a kind of a, a topic, right? And so as somebody who has had to deal with car insurance issues when my car was smashed, uh, you know, health insurance issues, uh, you know, trying to get coverage about certain things, let me tell you, it is not a fun experience. And I think anybody who's been through a car insurance uh, you know, accident or had to deal with insurance companies on any sense. It's not, I, you know, I don't think it's an ideal experience. So, you know, Andre, you know, what's even worse than that is medical bills because medical bills go to collection and sometimes they're over overcharged and people are still arguing. So even worse than those insurances that you're talking with a car is even medical insurance. I can't begin to tell you my experience as a real estate broker on how many people's credit has been ruined for medical things. Because medical bills automatically go to collection. So I think the car thing is important, but I think we shouldn't overlook the medical thing, too, because the medical thing is just out of control. Exactly. So when I talk about insurance, and this is kind of the point, is that if we, I, I just don't feel comfortable leaving insurance as, oh, this is, this is going to be a backup plan, and we're, gonna, we're, we're just going to go with that because insurance is going to take care of the costs. And just from my experience, sounds like from your experience, and you recognize you highlight a number of your clients and some of the people that you've worked with, I, you know, that, that idea just doesn't sit with me at all. And I have not had a good experiences with, with insurance companies. And I know people who actually have had flood insurance, and they had it. And their house was flooded in Pacifica. And let me tell you, they actually had to take that person to court because... I mean, they had to take the insurance uh, the insurance uh, company to court to actually get uh, reimbursed for their damages. And that was the only way because the insurance company objective is to actually take care of themselves, right, and reduce costs. So anyways, I just that's, that's my perspective on, the, on really how I feel about the levy. Do we need it? Yes, number one. Number two, I'm not going to let the insurance 
uh, be be the one that's going to make decisions for me when I know that we can actually protect this. So that's my perspective. What's your perspective, Patrick? Well, I think we have to, to fix the levy. And, and I think the, the picture of the levy is probably even bigger than just the levy, because what we're talking is about regional governments, cities, surrounding cities cooperating with each other. We may not be able to have this window of opportunity, so that's why we need to pa- pass the pass the bond. But maybe we do have that window of period. Bob Cushman brought up very clearly that the letter says that you have to have the intent that you're working towards a goal to to fix the levy. And remember, I think, to the listeners, remember, FEMA is not going to protect you. FEMA is a government agency that is telling us that we need to do the levy. We have not had a collective surrounding cities to make a decision on whether that is needed. But FEMA is saying that. We don't want to be put in a flood area because they're putting holding that over us. But Andre, when we talk about, and we've talked about this on housing and transportation um, and, and all of those things, where there's a dire need for surrounding cities to cooperate so that, that we can bring the cost of things down and solve our problems together collectively. So if you had a problem in San Mateo or you had a problem in Foster City or a problem in, in Redwood City or San Carlos in regards to traffic or in regards to their levies, then we collectively. But the question is, maybe we don't have enough time. So that's the big factor right here in this situation. Not that we're going to solve it just on this levy issue. The levy needs to move forward. But I think Bob Cushman brings up, as well as some of the people we've interviewed, Andre, whether it was mayors or whether it was city officials or elected people, they all feel that we collectively need to work together, together with surrounding cities and county. That's a great point, Patrick. And I think uh, just to highlight the, the, the reality of FEMA, we're going to play a little clip of Dave Jones that we interviewed a couple of weeks ago where he actually did talk a little bit about the FEMA because he's the insurance commissioner of California. So we actually have him. So we're going we're gonna to play that clip right before we get into our Foster City Residence Special. So once again, this is our Foster City Residence Special feedback show talking about the levy, talking about their perspective on how they made came to their conclusion, what the reality is, and some of them are even going to tell you how they're going to vote. So with that, Patrick, I think we're going to go ahead and get to this exclusive uh, discussion show about the levy featuring – uh, many interviews with different Foster City residents from Sam Hindy to uh, Bob Cushman to Gary Pollard to Evan Adams and also Amit Saini. So we're going to go ahead and get to the, the Levy Show and we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. So with that, this is Andre. And this is Patrick. It's important that we hear your feedback, that you, that you had an opportunity to hear all sides of the issue That's where we're at at Podcast by the Bay. We want you to make an informed decision based on information that's coming from people that are officials and people that are just in the community that are passionate about living in Foster City. That is true. And one of the things is we are hearing from our listeners. We are hearing from engaged people and the people that we represent are engaged people and there are voicing their opinions on social media. Uh, at the at the community meetings, at the council meetings. So this is what we're about. So, Andre, Andre, one more thing, one more thing. Why don't you tell the listeners how many how many downloads we're up to right now? Because I think we hit a milestone since the last time we did that. Well, we're definitely pleased. We got about over twenty three hundred downloads, 
And that's thanks to you listeners out there for listening to our show, for forwarding it to your friends, telling people about it, and really uh, advertising it on social media for us and telling people about Podcast by the Bay. We definitely appreciate it, and we definitely appreciate that you're engaged, and we're going to make a difference in this community. All right, here we go. Foster City Residence Show starting now. We're going to start off the feedback session with actually hearing from one of our previous interviews where Patrick interviewed current California State Insurance Commissioner, who's also running for Attorney General, Dave Jones. And so he actually describes the experience of the reality of what FEMA actually does cover and the realities of some of the insurance and how he's actually had to work with getting the coverage to actually uh, be, be reimbursed. So um, here's Dave Jones. And then we're going to go right into the segue with um, some of our current Foster City residents. So here we go. Dave Jones. Recently, we had the fires in Sonoma and Napa and Santa Rosa. Uh, and one of the things that, that came out of it is that FEMA didn't cover fires. Did we overcome that or is that true? Is that a true statement? Well, I think what people misunderstand with regard to FEMA, and it's not just fires, it's, it's uh, any natural disaster. People think that FEMA is going to rebuild their home after the natural disaster, whether it's an earthquake or a fire uh, or a flood. And that's not FEMA's role. FEMA's role is to provide emergency services to people uh, who are in dire and desperate need, uh, sometimes provide temporary housing, but they will not rebuild your home. And so it's important that people who own homes uh, purchase home insurance. And particularly uh, if you're in an area where there's a high risk of fire, uh, you better make sure you have home insurance. But also, if you're in an area where there's a high risk of earthquake, you ought to get earthquake insurance. Now, I know that's controversial. Uh, it's expensive. Uh, people don't like the expense. But we are locked and loaded, all the seismologists tell us, for one or two major catastrophic earthquakes, either in the Bay Area or Los Angeles or both. And FEMA is not going to rebuild people's homes when the earthquake comes, just as FEMA is not going to rebuild your home when the fire comes. Now, the good news is that most people do have homeowner's insurance. Uh, the challenge here, though, and what I've been spending a lot of time on as insurance commissioners, is getting the insurers to follow through on the promises they've made to people when they sold them that insurance. So in the North Bay, we had uh, something on the order of about 35,000 homes partially or completely destroyed. Within that 35,000, there's about 6,500 that were completely destroyed. A lot of my work over the last year has been getting insurers to help people uh, with regard to uh, their recovery. And we've done a lot of important work there. We've helped a lot of, a lot of people. Going forward, uh, we are concerned about uh, increasing unavailability of insurance because the insurers ultimately under state law have the right to decide, and this is the legislature's doing, not mine, whether they're going to write insurance or not. So far, it's not a crisis. They're still writing insurance in most areas, but it's something that we're looking at closely. We've made some proposals to the legislature as to things they could do to get ahead of this problem before it grows. All right. Well, thanks to current California State Insurance Commissioner Dave Jones for that feedback regarding FEMA and insurance. So now we're going to go ahead and move on to current Foster City resident you might have heard of. His name is Sam Hindy. Here we go. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay, and this is just a glimpse of uh, before the uh, June election, and we're going to be talking to a few of the residents and business owners in Foster City on on the initiative of the P 
uh, initiative, and that's on the levy. And um, I have the honor of talking to Sam Hindi. Sam Hindi is a business owner here at the Arco Station in uh, Foster City. He is also a homeowner. And uh, Sam is a, a public servant, but he's speaking for himself today. He's speaking on behalf of his family and the people that he knows that the levy will affect. So, Sam, why don't you tell us what your feelings are on this, on this um, upcoming initiative, P, for the, le- for the levy. Very good. Thank you, Patrick, first of all, for giving me the opportunity to speak with you on this very, very, very important issue. As you know, I'm not speaking today in my official capacity as a mayor. I'm speaking to you as a resident, as a business owner, as somebody who really cares about Foster City and its future. I care about the future for our children, and I've always, my objective is whatever we do in Foster City as a community, as a collection, is this generation has the obligation to leave the city in a better shape for the next generation. And this levy project, improvement project, Measure P, addresses just that. Measure P, passing Measure P, will give us a certainty of our city being secured by protecting the safety of our people and by preserving the property value of our city. In in addition, uh, Sam, isn't it also going to prevent the homeowners from having to take out flood insurance, which could be quite costly? Absolutely. I mean, uh, there is no doubt about it. Probably what there might be no certainty about flood insurance is when would that kick in. However, FEMA has told us that in October 2018, they will start taking a look at that. And for us in Foster City, uh, for those who don't know and your listeners, this levy project did not happen last year or the year before. This started back in 2014 when FEMA did the remapping and they they determined that 80% of the levy, Foster City levy, is not sufficient to withhold the 100-year storm. Well, Sam, on, on behalf of podcast, as you know, I've attended those, that very first meeting in uh, 2014 with the Corps of Engineers and all the uh, the state assemblymen and the Congress people and all the stakeholders, which you guys did a great job out there with the city, uh, talking about the uh, importance and the severity of the condition of the current levy that won't sustain a, another 99-year 90 year storm there. So I think the, the evidence is clear. Um, beyond a reasonable doubt that we need to deal with the levy immediately. Absolutely. There's no question about it. So I just want to take you back to what I was, my previous thought. So FEMA has told us they will take another look back and coming this October. And the reason in, from 2014 till now, we are not a flood zone per se. So FEMA kind of told us we are in a flood zone, but they agreed to put us in a seclusion zone, not to act on it as long as we are showing progress on the levy project. And since then, the city has been working diligently with those agencies, with FEMA and the other regulatory agencies for the permitting, with the design, engineers, and currently we are at 80% design of the levy. So the next piece of the puzzle or the next piece of the project is really to have uh, the financing and hence the urgency of Measure P in this June ballot, not later on. And I have to caution everybody that if we delay, we have no control over what FEMA does. And FEMA has told us in October they will take a look. And they could 
basically take us out of that seclusion zone if we're not showing enough progress in their definition. So it's not our definition. Some people will tell you, well, how do you know? Well, I don't know. But it could be October. It could be a week after. could be two weeks after. could be three weeks after. The fact of the matter is if FEMA determines we're not showing enough progress in their definition, we will be a flood zone. And at that point, it will trigger flood insurance by everybody who has federally guaranteed mortgage. So, and the insurance, as you know, Patrick, is 10 times as much as it would cost the average homeowner or the average property owner in Foster City. The levy bond for the average property owner is about $279 per year compared to 2000 to 3000 a conservative estimate on flood insurance. And the main thing in this is flood insurance, you might get flood insurance, and some people will say, oh, I, you know, I don't believe that we're going to be flooding, therefore I'll just purchase the insurance. Well, we never know. I mean, when, the, if that, when that happens, so flood insurance really does not cover your property. You could still going to get flooded. That's one. Two, we said the premium is going to be a lot higher. Three, uh, flood insurance does not cover 100%. As you know, with the earthquake insurance that the state of California underwrites, flood insurance is underwritten by the federal government. There is a deductible, which is typically a high deductible, and there's a cap limit to how much you will be covered. In addition to the wait time, the displacement, the suffering, this is on an individual basis. And then don't forget, if our city floods, your uh, public services, your say your courtyards or your sewer pumps and all that does not work. So what happens then? It's a disaster. A disaster that we, as this generation, cannot afford to ignore and have our next generation deal with it. Well, Sam, you bring up a couple of really good points, and the infrastructure out here is real critical that we do have that that uh, levy on there and that the levies increase because without that we don't have that insurance to protect the homeowners because even with flood insurance as a real estate broker they have big deductibles for the foundation they may have a ten thousand dollar deductible for the foundation they may have a twenty thousand for the framing so the homeowners are not going to be whole so I, I, it sounds like that the uh, insurance the best insurance that the homeowners could look for is to make sure that that levy wall is built no there's no question about it and i said this before this is like if we vote no on the levy on measure p because so voting no on measure p in essence whether you like the politics of what's going on in the city or you don't in essence you are voting no for the levy quite frankly, because we know, like I mentioned before, FEMA is going to take a look at our certification in, in October. So if, if we vote no and FEMA determines, wait a minute, you guys are not showing enough progress because you have no financing mechanism to do this project. So even if we finish the whole design and there is no funding mechanism, FEMA is going to take a look and say, most likely, I mean, any logical conclusion would be if you don't have the money, how are you showing progress? So I think you're right. I think in this time we can't take that risk with the federal government because we know California is not necessarily being treated as fairly by the federal government because of the current administration. So I don't think we can take that chance. I agree, I agree yeah. with you, Patrick. And, you know, again, flood insurance does not protect us. It really, would, it really does not. 
Well, Sam, you got to tell those people to go out there and vote. And um, is there a website that they can go on that they can get some more information? Yes. Uh, obviously, the city has a lot of information. The city staff is still available to answer any questions and provide provide any information. In addition, the Committee for Measure P, they have a website that has information. It's uh, protectfc.org, P-R-O-T-E-C-T. FC.org, protectfc.org. Well, Sam, as a business owner, property owner, and a public servant, we thank you on behalf of Podcast by the Bay, and we wish a lot of luck for that Proposition P in this upcoming June election. Thank you, Patrick. If I may, just one one uh, point that I've been reading uh, lately in the community. It's some some uh, resident is suggesting that vote no on P because – if we vote no on P, that the council will bring another measure in November for $70 million. We have not discussed that, so I don't know where that resident is getting his information from. And uh, the last time I, I remember when the city council discussed the financing of the levy, we evaluated whether we should be uh, paying down the bond by $20 million and put $70 million. And we asked the staff to bring us the analysis, right, the financial analysis. And we looked at the numbers. The numbers, uh, basically, it saved the average homeowner about $60 per year if we were to pay $20 million. And for the risk of not having the ability of having $20 million to help us in case of emergency or major disaster in Foster City, was not worth it, in my personal opinion, to commit that $20 million. Because once we commit it, it's gone. We cannot get it back. And if you are in a disaster, what do you do then? What do you come up with the cash to provide? Because why would we need the cash? To provide the essential services to our Foster City residents. And the re- we asked staff, actually, can you kind of go check what would it cost to provide the essential services for the first 30 days in case of a major disaster such as an earthquake. And they looked at a recent example, which is the Santa Rosa fires. To provide just water, food, and shelter for the first 30 days, it costs over $50 million. So money, that $20 million might sound like a big amount of money, but when the time comes that we need it, it's not a lot of money. And I'd rather, even if it's not a lot of money, I'd rather have it in my hand, to provide all of us the services that we need to at least survive for the first 30 days. Well, Sam, I think that's really fiscally responsible, and I know all the cities on the peninsula are trying to work towards that goal to have 30 days of reserves to take care of things. Absolutely, and FEMA has told us. FEMA actually has told us that local authorities need to be self-reliant in case of a major disaster. They said that. Don't count on FEMA to come in and uh, rescue you in the first 30 days. You need to start putting money aside and having the resources to take care of yourself. FEMA has mentioned that. Well, and again, on behalf of Podcast by the Bay, we had Sam Hindi, a business owner, property owner, and a public servant. Thanks again. Thank you, Patrick. Thanks to resident Sam Hindi for that exclusive feedback regarding the levy. Now we're going to move on to another Foster City resident you might have heard of. His name is Gary Pollard. Here we go. Okay, so we have resident of Foster City, Gary Pollard. We're going to feature him uh, discussing the levy 
and really some of his feedback. So, Gary, just your overall assessment of the whole levy situation and as far as the levy bond, can you can you give us your assessment of it and how you how you see it? Well, thank you very much, Andre. I, I look at the Measure P for the levy as the right thing to do for Foster City. Uh, as a longtime resident raising my children here, um, I, I want a future for them, as somebody gave for, for us. And I think doing what we're doing um, will protect for generations to come. And um, I, I think there's a tremendous amount of support for this uh improvement to the levy because it's not just about building the levy up or putting a wall as some people want to call it but we're actually raising the surface of the levy and it's by raising it it's going to make it even wider it's going to have even better access for people who use it uh, on a continual basis so it's at the end of the day it's a win-win for everybody it, it just loses um initially people's this theory of i can't i'm going to lose visibility of the bay uh, you know, people change is always difficult, and this will be one of those changes that will take a little bit of time to get accustomed to. And maybe two or three years after it's all done, nobody will remember that this so-called wall was even there. It will just be part of the landscape. Yes. Yeah, so, and and as far as your analysis and how you kind of came to your conclusion, I mean, what do you see as kind of the primary, uh, you, you know, benef- beneficiary? I mean, we're dealing with. You know, there is, we're in a flood zone. Is that correct? I mean, Foster cities uh, now are they currently designated as a flood zone, or is that going to happen? No, we're we're not in a flood zone right now. We're in a, the seclusion map that came out. We we're in a seclusion zone, which means we're exempt from uh, being in a flood zone as long as we show continual uh, efforts in moving forward to in, raise the levy to meet the standards of FEMA. So that's what we're in the process of doing in the design phase, and now we're raised trying to pass a measure that will a bond measure that will pay for the um, improvements to the levy, and so doing that um, will, will keep us out of a flood zone, and, and nobody wants to be in a flood zone simply because the the risk of water coming in and flooding, the risk to deflated values of our home, and the danger to our infrastructure. Uh, that we all love and cherish it could be a danger. That, that, that makes sense. And I think there's also another risk, and I think that's dealing with these insurance companies, which in my opinion, uh, that's a whole other story because um, I think that anytime you have insurance, and I'm talking about car insurance, I'm talking about health insurance, and now we're talking about flood insurance. And I think that there's all kind of, intricacies and, and, and difficulties when going through the process of making claims. And I think this, from what you're saying, it sounds like this is a way that we can secure and to really ensure that we're going to take care of ourselves. Is that correct? I think it's well said. And, and I think one of the factors, such as earthquake insurance, you know, earthquake insurance is very, very costly and it doesn't necessarily always cover 100% because obviously you have deductibles, but it has to be almost where what I have learned in my research that the house, your home has to be completely destroyed for the insurance to even kick in. So with flood insurance, you might have to purchase it if we don't build the levy up and this measure doesn't pass, but who knows the requirements? Is it going to cover 100%? You know, I'm not an insurance agent. All I know is from my own 
itself, I would be very concerned at the, the, the cost of the insurance, the deductible, and then is it going to cover 100%? Is it going to cover only, you know, what if only some water, if there was that 100-year storm or surge, would it only cover, you know, $5,000 worth of damage because I'm, I'm a distance from the water versus somebody else? So there's so many unknowns that to avoid the unknown, this is the best solution, and it protects everybody. That makes sense. And so, you know, as a resident, some, as somebody who has lived in the community for a long time, I think that's a great perspective. I mean, you definitely want to see the future of Foster City be preserved and really be able to really, we can really handle our own, uh, you know, perspective we, we, we can really take care of our own city in, in a way and this is really that opportunity so for all the people that i think that there have been people that have contradicted as far as different kind of opinions and different assessments i mean and what what can you really say w- would really you know be that really makes sense as far as you know this is why we need to do this and and this is this makes the most sense well I, it's two points the first one is if we don't do it because we believe that FEMA, if this doesn't pass and, and the city um, doesn't have the funds to continue the design process and eventually the construction cost, FEMA can come in and, and declare us in a flood zone. We don't know when that could happen. There's been letter a letter we've seen that it could happen in October, could happen the day after the election if it doesn't happen. We, we don't know when that date will occur. So it's like playing Russian roulette with something that there's no need to do. Uh, you know, the other thing is, I don't want to be a city, a, a resident in a city that we're penny-wise and pound-foolish. Um, and, and I think there, there's so many of my, my neighbors and friends that I have in Foster City who, when I talk to them about the simplicity of it's the right thing to do, Yes, it's expensive, but we're investing in our city's future. They get it. The scare tactics of, well, let's challenge FEMA. They're really not going to do it. Or maybe the city will add money in. All, all of these various, we'll call it white noise, doesn't solve the problem. It, it just makes people uneasy about or being unsure as to really what's going to happen. So to avoid the what-ifs, the unknown, I just find that this bond measure, this improvement to our levy, is an improvement to our city. You know, we, we, buy, uh, we put money aside to buy a fire engine when it's time. You know, we allocate the money because it's the right thing to do. We do things because it's the right thing to do. This is a situation where this is the right thing to do, and it's something that, unfortunately, we have no control because the government has mandated something. We have to do it. If we don't do it, then we're putting, and I'll wear my hat for a moment as an elected official, then I am jeopardizing 33,000 people to flood insurance or the potential that if it does flood and water comes in and we had an option to do something, that's hard for me to look in the mirror and say I was a good steward of our city while I was an elected official. Does that, does that convey to you, the, the, to me and you, the value of what we're trying to do? This isn't about the council trying to do something or certain residents. This is something that, as a city, we should all be in this together. 
And, and there's, I'll add this, there's talk of people that, well, I don't have a mortgage, so FEMA, you know, I don't have to get flood insurance because it only worries about, a, you know, a government-backed loan, blah, blah, blah. There's so much more that if you wanted to do certain improvements in your home and we're in a flood zone, you might have to get flood insurance. If you go to sell your home, the home has to be declared that the surrounding area is a flood zone. There's so many boxes that are going to be checked that at the end of the day, doesn't help anybody. So the solution is good, bad, or indifferent. Take care of our city for the next generation and beyond. Not worry about if scientists say it may happen or it may not happen. None of us have a, have a, uh, have a crystal ball as to what tomorrow's going to bring. But this is something we know by doing this, hopefully, we'll take care of the next 50 to 100 years. And I know, and I'll, and I'll add this one more thing, Andre, I don't mean to get off on my soapbox. There are a lot of people that have said, well, if we build up our levee, the surrounding cities don't, water knows no boundary. Can't argue with that. However, what I have learned in my research is that eventually, over the next, I don't know if it's two, three, five years, FEMA is going to be looking at mapping all cities along that, that face the waterfront. So whether Belmont gets it next or Redwood City or San Carlos or however you want to take it, eventually we're all going to get into this, this uh, having to deal with sea level rise, climate change, what, you know, surge, a wave surge in, in that 100-year storm. I, the only thing I wish is everything could be done at the same time, but I have to deal with what we have in front of us, and that is an opportunity to take care of Foster City, its residents, its infrastructure, its parks, its children, everything can benefit by a raise of the levy. Uh, as painful as it may sound in the dollar and cents, it's still the best value we can do to invest in our city. Well, Gary, I appreciate your time as a resident of Foster City, longtime resident, and really your perspective and for really speaking with Podcast by the Bay. We definitely appreciate your time. Andre, thank you. Well, thanks to Gary Pollard for speaking with Podcast by the Bay and for giving us his perspective. And now we're going to move on to another very engaged resident and also somebody who leads the group of the Foster City Residents for Responsible Development, and his name is Bob Cushman. All right, Bob, you're on. Here we go. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. Uh, this is the 11th of May, and we're getting close to our June election coming up here. And uh, we've got a couple of initiatives that we're all concerned about. And in Foster City, we're concerned about Initiative P. Um, I have the great opportunity to uh, inter- interview uh, Bob Cushman. Bob Cushman lives in Foster City. He's a fighter for the people. Uh, he's an advocate. He writes into the papers. Uh, he attends the city council meetings when he can. He attends the planning commission. Welcome, Bob, uh, to Podcast by the Bay. And we're going to just focus on this uh, thing, Bob, and we're going to focus on a couple things. The the levy and your current editorial letter into the editor, uh, to the uh, to the Islander. So welcome to Podcast by the Bay, and tell us where you stand on this uh, current levy situation, Proposition P. Well, thanks, Patrick. I think you and uh, your partner, Andre, are doing a great job, and and uh, bringing new uh, new information to people that otherwise we wouldn't see. So, but let me let me get to your get to your question. Um, there's really three main reasons that we oppose the levy bond itself. We don't oppose the levy, and by we I'm talking about Foster City residents for responsible development, and I'm a spokesperson for the leadership team. 
And how many people on that uh, team, Bob, did, did you would say? Uh, I think there's eight. eight. And it, it sort of rotates depending on what the issue is. But the group itself, uh, let's see, our online petition is now up uh, to over 3,000 signatures. And our Facebook page has a little over 700 uh, members in our, in our Can Facebook you tell group. us a little bit for the listeners, what is your petition? Oh, the petition is uh, to ask the city to take a breather on housing approvals until the infrastructure can catch up. You know, we have crowded schools, the traffic is a big problem, um, and we see the council continuing to approve, you know, all this housing. It's Saris Regis would be the most recent example. They've got 92 units they want to put up out there at uh, Triton, uh, Pilgrim Triton. Okay, thanks for clarifying that for sure. the listeners. And I think the sentiment is with the people, and the people don't want to see any more housing. And until we address the infrastructure and and the other issues that we have here in Foster City. Right, and, and, the, and the link between our group and the levy issue really revolves around workforce housing, which is more housing, and the fact that the city has these huge excess reserves that they're going to be they're planning to spend on a lot of a lot of other projects. So let me let me get okay. started. Let, here. let me address one thing because yeah. I think you brought up something good since the last time I've talked to you. I've talked to 14 mayors, at least in San Mateo County, and brought up that same issue in workforce right. housing. There still is no real clear definition of what workforce housing, because it almost means anybody that works in that city, uh, that you know, they're not sure to qualify them on income or first responders right. or teachers. So I just want to let you know that those other mayors are struggling with that same thing. But, of course, most of the mayors out there are, are looking at first-time home buyers um, and programs like that. Well, our proposal, uh, not our, but the city's proposal here was discussed at the last council meeting. So we got a little clarity on it. And it definitely is for city employees. There's no doubt about that. That's first, uh, they'd be the first priority. And if I recall, they said there was 22 units. 14 were designed for workforce housing. Correct. And the the other ones were for um, subsidized housing, kind of like... because um, I know the city um, has property currently, which they do to an outside agency like HIP right. or something like that monitors it. So it's my understanding uh, that the, the 14 are workforce and that there's going to be a total of seven that might be below market rent. I think that's almost right. Okay. So the city has this uh, little problem of getting uh, complying with the fair housing law. So uh, the 14 units will be, quote, affordable housing. And that would mean the, the people who live there would have to meet certain affordable income housing units, uh, income limits. The other eight will be open for uh, people who make more than that, people for relocation and transition and whatnot. So okay. I think we basically see it the same way in terms of where the city's going. But this is still there's still a lot of details to be worked out here. And so you ask a, a really good question, you know, what is... What is workforce housing for city employees? Okay, well, why don't we get into what we're talking about, that levy and, 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 and how you stand on it, and uh, that you're for a levy, but you're not for this bond. Right, and we, we're, not opposed, we're not opposed to raising the levy. And I think we can boil this down to uh, that we've taken this position against the bond for three main reasons. We believe the excess reserves, the city's reserves, should be returned to the taxpayers and one way to do that is for the city to buy down the size of the bond from $90 million to at least $70 million, if not more. 
Um, secondly, we believe the Foster City Council should go to the people and get a two-thirds vote for major expenditures, not accumulate a large excess reserve fund that they can then spend at their discretion. And third, we want to deprive the city council from being able to use city funds to partner with developer Saris Regis to build workforce housing for city employees or spend $2 million for a home loan program for city employees or to assure their pensions. Nor should it be used to repurpose the land at the recreation center and nearby Ryan Park uh, through a public-private partnership to create a foster city destination. That should be put to the voters, not paid for from a slush fund full of cash. So those are some of the projects that the city council seems to be favoring. Bob, can I go back for one thing, and maybe you've got a better handle on it. I'm sure. not sure I've got a clear answer. And that's what we call our reserve amount of money or surplus. Now, I think the last time I had a conversation, and it was over the phone with our, our current uh, city manager, Kevin Miller, right. I kind of got that, that there was only $44 million in reserve. And I'm not sure because at one time I was told 119 mm-hmm. million and now I'm brought down not not that that 119 maybe they spread it out into other other things but what's your what's your idea of how much reserve we have here in Foster City based on what public information you you have well i think you're onto it but uh, it's a matter of definitions the uh, the city is sitting on millions of surplus money no doubt about that the general reserve account what the, what the finance director calls our general reserve account, the money we're supposed to have for emergencies. It's fully funded at 50% of our operating expenses for the year. And it's much higher, that's a much higher bar than required by neighboring cities or by any California city averages. So we're already at 50% fully funded on our, on our reserves. Plus, we have another $22 million in excess reserves. This is the surplus that everybody's been talking about, the excess reserves. And in addition to that, we have another $37.3 million from the sale of the 15-acre site stashed in another fund. So that totals $59.3 million in excess surplus taxpayer money above and beyond the fully funded general reserve fund. Now, there are other little pockets of money stashed away as well. For example, our capital improvement fund is required to have a $2 million, quote, emergency reserve. So money has been put into that. So if you added it all up, I think you're right. We have quite a bit of money in, 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 in funds that could be used pretty much any way the city wants to use them. So I think on the surface, just based on my investigation and your investigation, it really hasn't become clear to the public through the city on how much that really is actually uh, reserved. We kind of have to dissect what we see publicly that they give, make available for us. I think that's true. And, and budgets are kind of dry and dull and not easy to understand anyway for the general public. So it's not easy to communicate these things. It's not surprising to me that there are misunderstandings about what excess reserves really means. So I hope that definition uh, sort of uh, sort of helps. And I think if if you went to Edmund, for example, our finance director, uh, he'd describe it pretty much the same way same way I have. So Foster City has millions in reserves, but is not using any of it to pay for levy improvements. That leaves taxpayers to pay the entire ninety million dollar bill 
which is going to grow to over, what, $155 million when it's paid off over 30 years. So the city needs to contribute its fair share and reduce the cost to their residents. Now, Bob, if, if they were willing to reduce, if, if, if um, I know we had uh, Councilman uh, Gary Pollard and Catherine Monopower, they were willing to step up to the plate, yes. so to speak, and, and ask for $20 million, and then they reduced it to $10 million. And, and, and I, I would say um, it, it wasn't well received by the council. <laughs> yeah, that's um, fair. And, you know, we won't get into details, right. but it wasn't well received. But I, I give them credit for standing out what they believed in, too. So um, so if the $20 million was available and they reduced it, you, you're saying go forward with the bond. Is this the only issue that's burning for you on the on the levy? Well, you can see that, that the, the linkage between the $20 million and all these uh, other things that the city wants to fund that we think they ought to go to the people to get approval for. Now, uh, $20 million, uh, let's talk about that for a minute. When, when the uh, levy bond is passed and funded, the city will immediately get back from the sale of the first bond, will immediately get back all the money it's already put into the project, which I understand from Edmund is about at least $6 million, and, and maybe more by now. So they're going to get back $6 million right away. And we think they should put, we, actually, they should put in $26 million, not twenty. Mm-hmm. And if they did that, they'd still have a fully funded reserve. And they'd have this extra stash of what, $37.3 million from the sale of the, fi- of the 15 acres. I, I just can't imagine why they're hanging on to all this money except to fund all these pet projects they're talking about. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pull you back from it. I can't either, because um, I feel if we do have that excessive reserve, I think it would be a nice uh, thing to do to bring the bond down, even though it's not going to substantially reduce the monthly payment over the period of time it would. So I'm in agreement with you that, that, that I think that was in, um, they should have well, done it Well, let me bond. interrupt, because it would be easier to pass a smaller bond. And we're prepared at sometime before June 5th, our group is going to meet with Kevin Miller and uh, Jeff Manetta and tell them that we are prepared to get totally behind passage of a new bond in November if they'll put in at least $20 million. Well, that's great. I, and I, I think we can help pass it. Yeah. I, what, I, what I'm concerned about, if the, if, the, if the bond does not pass in June by two or three percentage points, then I think we could pass it in November pretty easily if we got behind it. That that sounds like that if you, you were holding that little uh, ace in the hole and that was the situation, that, that makes sense? Well, the, the, the survey that the city did itself in, in February pretty well told them that the biggest argument against passing the bond would be that the city has not put in any money. So they knew, even at that point, that if they had agreed to put in some money, they could have put it over the top. So if it, if it only fails by a few percentage points, I think we could pass this bond in November. Now, my concern is that it may not pass by a lot, and that's going to be a disaster. That's going to be a real problem. What do you think? And, you know, I know the council um, is trying to do their due diligence, and their their main main argument is, is they feel that FEMA is going to break down the doors and all of a sudden put us in the flood area because right. we're not making that progress. Right. Um, to your understanding, uh, is that reality or is that just kind of panicking? It's a scare tactic. Uh, the city has a letter from FEMA, which I can show to you, and it's up actually it's up on next door, that says they're not going to take any action until after October, after October. 
And we know that our own project planning doesn't uh, complete the design phase of the levy until uh, late October. So they, they're telling us as long as we're making progress, they're going to leave us alone, at least until November. So we have, we, have a, we have a chance to do this again in November. Now, at some point, if we stop cooperating, we stop making progress, sure, FEMA is going to put us back into a flood zone. But I think, I think FEMA is just holding the stick over our heads to keep us moving. And that's great. That's working well. But the city has, has misrepresented this terribly. Uh, the flyers that went out early in this process basically said, if this bond doesn't pass on June 5th, we're going immediately into a flood zone. And that's not true. FEMA's told us it's not true. Well, Bob, I appreciate you bringing that. You know, let's go back on something. You brought a good thing. I would say, and I know that they really don't have a plan for the rec center yet, but I would assume if they rebuild that current rec center as it is, that they would have to go out for a bond because I'm assuming on, on just a rough estimate that you're talking at least a $50 million project uh, with that rec center. And yeah, I, I, I heard the, no, the number $45 million thrown around. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we got a big project. Uh, so I, I, in, in my understanding with that kind of capital out, I, I would think that they need to get to the voters because, as you know and I know, they're exploring. They're, they, they passed a uh, $292,000 project investigation to see come up with ideas. What can we do here? Yeah, for conceptual design. Yeah, conceptual design. And uh, they've, they've, they've already you know proceeded on that. Uh, and I agree with you. I think if uh, these large projects should go to the voters, uh, they shouldn't be funded out of uh, some kind of a big, huge slush fund, not even part of it. And Bob, you know, one of the things you've been engaged with, with the community and I've been engaged with the community. And one of our challenges that you and I have before us is to get the word out. And, right. and Andre and I are trying to do that with podcasts by the Bay. Um, what do you think? How, how can you get, are you getting the word out to your um, res residents for Responsible Foster City? Well, we have a mailing list and we communicate with our members uh, through email and, and use Nextdoor to a certain extent. But we're, you know, we're not a, a highly organized group. We're not financed in any way. I mean, look at this Yes on P campaign. I think I've at least $13,000 has been thrown into this by city staff and developers and the labor unions. So they got a, you know, they got a lot of more muscle than we have. But um, I, I can say uh, I've done a little study of, of, of the city council and how many people look at the city council and attend the city council. It's very small. It's very small. No, I, you know, as a seasoned person, it's been going there for uh, the number of years. You know, as you know, the last council meeting I was at, I was the only one that right. spoke for the public. It's very common. Yeah, very, very common. And when you look at the YouTube stream, they'll tell you how many people are watching. Last time I, the last meeting, there were seven people watching, including me. So people just, we get much better coverage, I think, from the Islanders summary. And the Islander has a circulation of about 6,000 people. Now, not all of those Islanders are read or picked up, but that's a lot more coverage than, uh, than you get at the city council. I mean, well, they assume the whole world's watching them, but, right. but it's not happening. And next door, we can reach uh, over 7,000 people in Foster City w with discussions on next well, with door. The, with the passion with next door, I'd love to see some of those people attend the council meeting. It's not that difficult to get up to the podium and speak. I know that's a scary thing for most people. So 
I would encourage those people out there, and and, and we will have, um, I think, uh, a couple more council meetings prior to prior to the uh, the election in June. So, right. Any closing words from Podcast by the Bay, Bob? Again, we appreciate your time and your devotion to the community. Thank you, Patrick. You and Andre are doing a great job. You're bringing um, uh, stuff to the public that they ordinarily wouldn't hear. Uh, I think it's important to realize that many of us have already received our ballots and already sent them on in. So this is going to be decided well before June 5th and well before the council meetings that you're talking about. But I agree with you. I would I would like to see more people involved in um, civic affairs in Foster City. I have great faith in the public. I think the bigger the ball of light, the more darkness it touches. Uh, I think it's going to be healthy for the community. And it's, it's, it, it's a shame that we have such... Um, uh, low, low levels of participation in civic affairs. Again, thank you from Podcast by the Bay. Thank you, Patrick. Well, thanks, Bob, for speaking with Podcast by the Bay and for bringing some alternate perspectives on the levy and for really highlighting some different issues. And now we're going to speak with another Foster City resident, Amit Saini. And Amit conducts various analysis to come to his conclusion, and we're going to hear about that in his interview. Here we go. Okay, we have a, a resident here. We're going to feature another resident here, and this is Amit Saini. And so one of the things about Amit, and you might see him on Next or you might see him on some of the different um, social media sites, is uh, he has actually a lot of perspectives. You actually have written in some articles, actually, in, in some of the, the papers, right, like in, in, the, in the journal, in the Islander. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. First of all, good evening to all the listeners, and uh, thank you, Andres, for uh, uh, having me on the podcast. Uh, you're right. Yes, I did. Uh, I did write an article on the uh, Islanders uh, magazine. I, I, whenever you know, the levy is such a complicated issue, and I think it behooves uh, all residents to pay close attention to that and uh, make sure they sort of do their own. Uh, Research, which is exactly what I set out to do before uh, I wrote that article in the Islander. Um, you know, I, I, honestly, Andrea, I wish there was no FEMA. I wish there was uh, no concept of climate change. I, I wish there was no talk about sea level rise and whatnot. Uh, and so I wish none of it was true. Um, but obviously, that's not the world we're living in. Uh, and so, uh, and so, these things are happening around the world. You, you just have to uh, open your eyes, read the news. What's happening around the world? Uh, you know, climate change is happening. It's happening in Tahoe. Look at the snow levels in uh, Tahoe. And you know, there's a school of thought that says, uh, you know, climate change has always happened, or you know, humans have caused it. You know, it doesn't quite matter as far as we are concerned. As far as I am concerned. Uh, there is an organization called FEMA. They employ scientists and mathematical modeling experts, and they are saying something. Uh, uh, and now the question is, okay, do I want to accept that, or do I think I have more knowledge and experience than an entire uh, you know, uh, uh, FEMA department? Uh, and so that, to me, is sort of just being ignorant. So I choose to accept what FEMA is saying. If they're saying we've done more modeling, we've done more studies, and, uh, you know, here are the risks we're seeing, I, I sort of choose to accept that uh, at, uh, at, at at face value. And so that sort of forms the basis of, uh, you know, subsequent research that I have uh, conducted. 
um, yeah, I, I, I don't know how other. There, there's a sentiment right now that uh, you know somehow Foster City can take FEMA to court. Uh, I, I really think uh, you know uh, going the legal route, incurring high legal fees, is is a good idea. And what comes out of that is a question mark. Uh, you, you you have no idea uh, how that's going to shape up. So so you spoke upon some research you've done. So what 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 type of research have you done for the listeners so they can kind of understand how you actually are looking at this? Uh, you, you came to your conclusion. <laughs> Yeah, good good question, Andre. So it's sort of not one thing; it's a number of different things. Uh, so for, first of all, just you know, generally be aware that uh, the the incident of uh, you know severe weather is, is the there's a much higher frequency that's happening all all around the world, right? You can read it in the news, you can see it in other parts of our country. So 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 be be aware that you know that is going on. Uh, you know, floods are getting more severe. Here's what the uh, FEMA, the head of FEMA, has to say. He recently went on record to say uh, that FEMA doesn't have uh, the financial resources uh, to help out a lot of uh, to help out with a lot of disaster type situations. And FEMA was actually encouraging the local authorities to uh, shore up their own reserves. Right. So, so sort of be aware of that. I, I researched on. Um, what the head of FEMA is saying, you know, how the political landscape in Washington and whatnot. And then what I did was uh, I educated myself on uh, the the latest um, reference. So there's a website, you can go there, you can put your address, um, and that will tell you, you know, whether you're in a uh, uh, flood rating or not. Basically, all of Bay Area is in a flood rating. It, it matters, you know, how severe that rating is. And so essentially all of Foster City, you know, my house, your house, the houses by Beach Park, um, all of them fall under what is called as a seclusion rating that's defined by a X. And so that was my second data point. And my third data point was I called up two insurance companies. Uh, you know, one was uh, Farmers, one was State Farm, both located here in Foster City. And I asked them for a quotation, um, you know, hey, this is where I live, this is my address. Uh, how much would it cost me? And uh, I learned that all flood insurance programs, uh, no matter which insurance you, company you go to, um, all of them are underwritten by the same federal agency, and that's NFIP, National Flood Insurance Program. And so the cost for me uh, came out to $450 annually. And so then I asked them that, hey, you know, what rating do you see in your system? And they confirmed we see an X rating, seclusion zone rating, and so then I asked them, okay, you know, what if this rating goes away? What if it changes? And they can't, they can't give me a quote if the rating changes because their software is not designed to, you know, manually enter a different rating that's more severe. And so then the best reference point you have is uh, um, from people who live in North Shore and, you know, based on responses on Nextdoor, it's it's a wide estimate. Some people pay about $1,000 in flood insurance. Some people are a little bit higher. Um, but for me, the the deciding, the deciding factor was really simple. Uh, for, for my home, the, uh, the bond uh, would come to about $525 or $550, which is, which is sort of not too high from the $450 I might have to pay for insurance. So for a hundred and so for a hundred extra dollars, you know, do I want the 
uh, comfort uh, of of knowing that hey, there's a levy that's actually going to do something to protect us, uh, versus being at the whims and fancy of uh, of an insurance company. So that that's sort of how I you know conducted uh, my uh, research. That's how I gathered my data points. And, and so for me, it doesn't really matter if like I, I I know some people are saying, hey, it's not really three thousand a year that you might have to pay an insurance. It's more like Two thousand. For for me, even if it's like five fifty dollars, which is the same amount I would pay in a bond, I would much rather you know fund to improve our levy versus, like I said, be at the mercy of insurance companies. So that's a great point, Amit. And so with all that data points and with your analysis, what is your conclusion? How will you vote? Yeah, I, I have I have no option. Uh, basically, I'm a relatively new uh, homeowner in Foster City. I moved, uh, I became a homeowner in Foster City in uh, 2014. And prior to that, I, I lived just across our border in Bridgepoint. So I, I like literally waited all my life or a good chunk of my life to be able to afford a home in Foster City. And I pay a ton of money in property taxes. So for me, this is the primary uh, asset. And I, I, I'm paying upwards of $15,000 in property uh, uh, taxes right now. Um, and so for me, I have no option but to view this as an uh, uh, additional, say what you will, and as an additional insurance cost or an you know, a little bit extra money that I'm paying in property taxes to protect the value of my home. And you also have to keep in mind, uh, uh, because I, I'm, I'm sort of still in, you know, mid-30s, I've got uh, I've got a really long stretch ahead of me. And so I want to, uh, like, for the foreseeable future, that's at least 15, 20 years, I'm going to be a resident of Foster City. So I have no choice but to protect my investment and... Uh, and, and make sure, uh, you know, Foster City as a whole, my neighbors, my my community, uh, they don't face this threat because a lot of people in my age group uh, who uh, who sort of are still in the process of deciding, you know, where to settle down, where to raise a family, um, these conversations have started to come up. You know, in fact, just a few weeks back, my friend asked me, hey, you know, we're thinking of settling down in the peninsula. Uh, we read this article about, you know, Foster City, flood zone, and so news spreads really fast, by the way. And what I what I never want to happen is um, for for this thing to become a ding on Foster City and affect its desirability, right? Uh, and, and so I never want to think Foster, people to think Foster City is a risky place to live, or the residents and the council have not done enough to um, to protect it uh, for the next generation of residents. That makes sense. I mean, I, I think those are valid points, and I, I, I appreciate your insight, your contribution to this discussion, um, and especially on places like Nextdoor where people are posting a lot of different information. And so really helping clarify what the facts is, what the reality is, and really presenting some of your analysis. So I appreciate you speaking on it here as a Foster City resident, as somebody who's engaged in the community, and really we look forward to more discussions from residents like yourself, Amit. So we're going to go ahead and sign off. So thanks so much, Amit. I appreciate your uh, your time. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. Really appreciate it. And, you know, very grateful for the effort that you put in uh, to running this uh, 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 podcast for our community. Uh, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I, I hope I get a chance to meet you in person sometime soon. Sounds good. 
Well, thanks, Amit. We definitely appreciate your perspective and for hearing your feedback regarding the levy. And now we're going to move on to another Foster City resident who's also a renter. And so his name is Evan Adams. Here we go. Okay, so we have Evan Adams, and Evan Adams is a Foster City resident. And so, Evan, you have a good feedback. Uh, you participate in the social media. You kind of uh, have a good aspect on the actual levy. And so just wanted to hear your feedback as a resident of Foster City. What do you think about the levy, and what is kind of some of your main concerns about it? Well, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, Foster City has to have some sort of protection like this, but I don't think that they are approaching this the right way. I think the city has put this on the ballot without any consideration for renters. I mean, I'm a renter, and I think that if you're going to be a renter, if you're, if you're going to be a city, you need to somehow protect renters. And I can see a situation where my landlord's cost is $6 a month, and my cost from my landlord becomes $60 a month. And, you know, I just don't think that's right. And that's that was one of the things I have a major problem with with this with this policy. I, I don't think they're watching out for renters in the city at all. Um, and then secondly, I think they've got a lot of large capital projects on their on their on the shelf, and they're not being clear about where are they going to get that money from. Are they going to go back out to bond for the rec center? Are they going to go back out to bond for workforce housing if that's what they are going to do? Which I don't think they should do anyway, but these are large amounts of money they want to spend along with the levy, but they're not telling people what their plan is. They're just screaming levy and running for the bond. And I, I don't think that's right. I think if the city has extra funds, they should be using it on the bond that they're bringing to market and then bring another bond to pay for their projects. So those that's kind of the two things. Renters and, and cities shouldn't be in the business of hoarding cash like they are. So, so you bring up the fact of renters, and I think that's actually a key component here because I think that there is, with the levy, uh, a lot of direct kind of, I guess, influence with the, with the homeowners, right? And so these are the ones I think that most people are have been talking about, like my home's going to be affected and stuff. But you bring up a great point, renters. And you're a renter. I've been a renter there. And... You know, how is it going to affect the renters? I mean, that's a great point. How is it going to affect the renters to, uh, you know, um, you know, with this bond? Yeah, and, you know, it's not just, you remember, it's not like the renters are going to pay what the bond costs, the owners. The renters are going to pay what the, what the owners tell them it's going to cost. So, you know, there's just, with no protection there, and the city hasn't done anything to protect renters. You know, they came out against SB 826. You know they, they're not doing. They're not. They're they're obviously not taking the positions of of protecting renters. So, you know, a renter has no idea if their rent is going to go up next year ten five percent, ten percent, and now here's another one. You know, is is my rent going to go up fifty dollars, sixty dollars, a hundred dollars because my landlord pays eight? Come on. Well, they need to. That needs to be clear. Yeah, I think I think those are some good points. And uh, so so as far as I guess so on that sense, then I think you 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 have a good uh, I would say uh, I think you understand the perspective on on why the levy is needed. But I think it's what you're mentioning is just how it's being presented. 
uh, to the renters and really to to the community has been kind of it, it can be improved in, in a way to actually have a little bit more clarification. Absolutely, uh, the way they pre- they present it, also the way you know the just the basic public decorum. I think a lot of people have watched these city council meetings on television. That's how I watch them, and the there's just a lack of civility from elected officials on the subject. And anytime I see someone get that nasty, I think something's up and I'm more likely to hit the brakes than I am to, you know, hit the gas on huge bond measures on anything. You you also mentioned a couple of the other kind of things like the, uh, the rec center and then some of the workforce housing. So, uh, and I guess it sounded like you were concerned that potentially, um, there are going to be more bond measures and, and, and things like that. And, and how are they going to actually raise the money? And so, so I think managing the money was kind of a concern as well. Well, I'm sure they're going to imagine that they have accumulated a tremendous war chest of funds. Um, and, and it's become clear, especially at the last council meeting, that they, there are funds set aside for uh, appreciating assets, I guess I would say. Um, and those are in a lockbox. But there are also other funds that they say will be used for an emergency. Well, are we in a housing emergency? We've heard them all say that. Does that mean they're going to use the housing emergency as an excuse to use those funds for something like workforce housing? You know, I don't think that's, you know, I, 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 that that has me concerned. I think that's something voters should be able to decide because that's a, that's a major change in the way the city operates so same with the rec center rec, the rec center is not going to be a cheap project right is it going to be 20 30 40 million dollars yeah i mean so so th- these are good questions and i think that i i think definitely um you know when these co- things come into i guess the the platform it's it, there's going to be a lot of discussion uh, as well as we we hear the discussion on social media we we hear discussion at the council meeting so you know, as a resident and recognizing this, this, this levy and, and the bond, so what, what do you think is really the defining key to really to make you, you know, vote one way or another? And, and how do you actually plan to vote? Right now, to be totally honest, Andre, I don't know if I'm going to vote yes or no. A week ago, I was certainly more no. Um, this week I was at a at a business roundtable event and I talked I, I saw their presentation on the levy there and I started thinking well this this makes a lot more sense and and it's something that needs to happen in, in the city you know I'm a renter I might not be here by the time this is done but I you know you have to vote what you think's best for your community and you know I th- I think this town is going to need it but I don't think. Again, I, I think they're hoarding a lot of cash without direction to the community as to how they're going to use it. And I agree that, you know, I, I think if this bond measure fails, I think they'll be able to bring another bond in November and pay it down a bit. Um, I mean, you just have to go back and look, at, listen to those discussions they had in January. It was incredibly uncivil the way they discussed just $10 million to pay down the overall cost of the bond. And that, you know... I, I, when I hear that level of negativity, that that makes me want to hit the brakes on anything. Well, well, uh, Evan, fair enough. We appreciate your opinion. We appreciate your feedback as a Foster City resident, as a Foster City renter, which is very a uh, key component here on this perspective. 
and we definitely appreciate your time here at Podcast by the Bay and just listening because we actually want to bring the residents' feedback to the forefront. We want to bring and we want to give people an opportunity to give their concerns because I think this this issue as well a lot of, a lot of the other issues a lot of people do have concerns and they and they want to get uh, facts and it's and I I appreciate the fact that you even said it. I I went down to a, a, another. Uh, presentation and they had a kind of a different perspective and it really kind of sh- uh, shed some light on some different things. So I think that uh, it, it, it's it's nice to hear from engaged citizens, people who are in the community that are, are paying attention and we definitely appreciate appreciate your time, Evan. Thanks, Andre. I listen to every episode while I drive around for work. Thank you so much. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed that episode of Podcast by the Bay and really hearing from your constituents, your fellow neighbors, your fellow Foster City residents, discussing the levy, discussing what's happening in our community at the council meetings, and just really being engaged. Because these are the discussions we are having at the coffee shops, right? We are having with our neighbors. We're having over the phone. We're having at the council meetings. And so we appreciate all the residents that we spoke with and for hearing their perspective and for really enlightening us and the listeners alike. So with that, we're going to go ahead and we'll sign off and we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at HighwaySoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.Liberty-RealtyInvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. All material is property and copyrighted by Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. For sponsorship opportunities, please contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Stay tuned. Bye.